0: Welcome to Honey from the Rock, a podcast devoted to Bible exposition. My father, Jack Christensen, preached expositionally for over 50 years, first as a missionary to Pakistan and later as a pastor in New England. His legacy lives on in me. He often began his sermons with a little expression, and now, A little honey from the rock, taken from Psalm 81, verse 16. The psalmist wrote, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Today, more than ever, we need to feed our souls on the words of God in the Bible. The crying need of the church is for God-centered, word-explaining messages. So now, my friends, a little honey from the rock. Lucy and Charlie Brown are engaged in a deep conversation about life in one of the Peanuts comic strips. Lucy says to Charlie Brown, Life is like a deck chair. Some people place it so they can see where they are going. Some people place it so they can see where they have been. And some people place it so they can see where they are now. Charlie Brown thinks for a moment, and then he replies, I can't even get mine unfolded. If you feel like that today, then James has a message for you in James 1, 5 through 8. These verses are directly connected to the trials and struggles of verses 2 through 4. Sometimes, when life doesn't seem to work out right, we second-guess God. We say, God, I've done what you wanted. I tried so hard to obey you. And now, look at the mess I'm in. Nothing worked out right, no matter how hard I tried to do it your way, God. What are you doing to me? Second-guessing God is what we do when life turns hard, when we can't even get the deck chair opened. When the problems of life toss you about so that you don't know whether you are coming or going, you need to know God's will for your life. When you are confused and depressed by the struggles of life, you need to know what choices he wants for your life. Your choices can't be made on the basis of your circumstances because those circumstances are confusing. Your situations must not dictate your decisions. What do we do? Ask God for wisdom. If there is one question I have been asked more than any other question over the years, it is this one. How do I know God's will for my life? I have heard more sermons and read more books and listened to more lectures on this topic than perhaps any other single Christian issue. Much of the advice is excellent, if sometimes confusing. The reason is that we want one quick, pat answer that will solve all of our problems. Life simply doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. Life is a journey, not an event. The journey has many twists and turns, and God doesn't give us the answers ahead of time. When you boil it all down, When you summarize all the theory and the theology, you arrive at what I like to call the wisdom way. James tells us, ask God for wisdom. Wisdom produces stability. What is wisdom? Wisdom is spiritual common sense. It is the ability to make good choices about life and all life's problems. As someone has said, wisdom is spirituality with feet to it. Look at verse 5 in James chapter 1. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Our resource for wisdom is God. God. How do you see God? What is your perception of God? How we see God determines how we respond to God. Miserable people generally have a miserable perception of God. Unstable people tend to see God as unreliable. Do you see God with a clenched fist ready to slam you when you make a mistake? Or do you see God with open hands, ready to give you what you need for life? The God of the Christian is the God who gives. Now, certainly, we know that God is a holy God who judges sin. But we, as Christians, are under the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven. We are children of the Heavenly Father, and that changes everything everything. Our Heavenly Father is a God who gives us what we need for life. And James identifies two characteristics of God's giving nature. One, God gives wisdom without reservation, without reservation. My translation uses the term generously. The Greek word is not used anywhere else in Scripture, although a similar adjective is used. The word could be translated generously or liberally, but probably is better understood as simply or plainly. In other words, God gives without reservation, simply gives, plainly gives. God gives with no ulterior motives. God's wisdom is given to all who ask, not just to a favored few. And God gives that wisdom without reservation. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, Oops, I think I made a mistake with David Christensen. Maybe I shouldn't give him my wisdom because he just might not be worth it. No, no, that's not how God thinks. He doesn't give his wisdom because we are worthy to receive it. If I ask for wisdom, he gives it with no hesitation at all because he is a giving God. He gives freely. Secondly, God gives wisdom without reproach. Without reproach. This word means without rebuke, without reproof, or without insult. Many of us think that God is like other people in our lives. If you ask someone for something, you may get insulted or rebuked for being stupid or unprepared. And we have this fear that God will put us down if we tell him what we are really thinking. We think, well, if I bring God that request or tell him what I need, he'll say, you stupid person, when are you going to grow up? You should have planned better. Stop bringing dumb requests to me. But God is not like that at all. He may not give us what we want, but he'll always listen, and no request is stupid to God. Have you ever listened to the prayers of children? They pray so innocently. We ought to learn from the prayers of children that God listens, and no prayer is irrelevant or inconsequential. When my girls were young, we would pray together before bedtime. They prayed about what was happening in their lives. They prayed about the little kitty they saw or their sore finger. And God doesn't rebuke them or insult them for their prayers. The same is true for us. Remember that God is a God who gives without reservation and without reproach. One writer put it this way. God's generosity is measured by what he designs and not what we deserve. If you need wisdom in any decision that you have to make today, God will be delighted to listen to your your request and give you the wisdom you need, no matter how minor it may seem to others. So that's a look at the God who gives. Now, let's look at the gift of God. James says that if a person asks, it will be given to him. Now, of course, God does not promise to give us whatever we want. Let's say, God, I'd like a new RV. Well, God doesn't promise to give me a new RV. He promises to give wisdom here. God doesn't promise to make us healthy and wealthy. He promises to make us wise. Wisdom is what we need to make the right choices in life. The book of James is part of what is known as wisdom literature. Wisdom literature included the books of Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, and particularly Proverbs. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The previous verses in Proverbs 2 talk about treasuring God's commandments and searching for discernment as we would search for silver and gold. Well, that's pretty intense searching. If you thought there was gold in your house, you would probably search pretty hard for it. The process of acquiring wisdom involves saturation in God's word and searching for God's wisdom. The Lord alone gives real wisdom, the ability to make choices in life. It's a gift from God to us who follow him. Wisdom is God's gift, which enables us to stand the tests that come upon us in real life. James talked about those tests in verses 2 through 4. If we want to be stable and mature in Christ— we need wisdom. If we fail the tests of life, it's because we lack wisdom. But God promises in verse four that we would lack nothing. And in verse five, he promises that he will give us the one thing we lack to be successful in life, and that is wisdom. So our resource for wisdom is God. And our reception of wisdom involves conditions, verses 6 through 8. James writes, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We ask for wisdom, but then we must receive the wisdom that we asked for from God. How does a person receive God's wisdom? Well, there are two important conditions in these verses. There is a positive condition, and there is a negative condition. The positive condition is faith. What God wants more than anything else from us is trust. God wants you to trust him. The verb, he must ask, is a construction that refers to an ongoing attitude. We must be continually asking in faith if we expect God to answer our prayers. This is not a one-off prayer. Once again, we look back to Proverbs as our background. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. It's a divine promise on the condition of trust. God will direct your ways. When my daughter Katie was learning to walk, she would hold my hand and walk with me. I directed her steps. If she stumbled, I was there to hold her up so she didn't fall. It was only when she let go of my hand to run ahead or off to the side that she got in trouble. The faith principle is the same with God. Walk with him by faith. Hold his hand as you go through life, and he will direct your steps. You will get to where you are going. But you say, Dave, what about being out of God's will for my life? I did all these things, and yet the situation didn't work out. Am I out of God's will? No. You cannot be out of God's will if you followed his directions. It's a promise. If you truly walked with God and obeyed his word and trusted him as you made your choices, then his wisdom directed your decisions. You are not out of God's will. But you say, look, Dave, I made a choice and had nothing but problems afterward. Later, I had to change my decision. Did I fail God? Was I out of his will? No. If you trusted God's wisdom and walked with God, then he wanted you to go through those trials for a reason. He wanted you to experience those problems. That's the whole point of James 1 2 through 4, the passage we looked at in the last podcast. Hard times and tough struggles do not mean you are out of God's will. You see, God's will is not static. God's will is not locked into one direction forever. People often ask me, how do I know God's will for my life? As if it's only one thing. Wrong question. We ought to ask, what is God's will in this decision or in this moment? God's will is not like a long and straight superhighway. It is more like a winding mountain road. You can't know God's will for your life. You can only know God's will for the next intersection on the road, the next turn or twist on that mountain road. God leads us step by step and inch by inch. My parents went to Pakistan as missionaries. After 12 years as missionaries, they had to leave because my mother became so sick she almost died. They went into the pastorate in Maine. Were they out of God's will on the mission field? No. Then, after two pastorates in Maine, they went back to serve with the mission agency. Were they out of God's will when Dad pastored First Baptist Church in Portland, Maine? No. When I was a young teenager, I thought God's will for my life was to serve as a missionary medical doctor. I said I would never pastor a church. Then, at 17, I decided God's will for my life was to become a pastor after all. At 30 years of age, Through a variety of circumstances, I decided God's will for my life wasn't leading in that direction, so I decided to become a Bible college professor. At 36, I became pastor of Galilee Baptist Church. Now, at this age of my life, this season of life, I am back to teaching. So, at what point was I in God's will And at what point was I out of God's will in that whole process? You see, God's will is not fixed for my life. God doesn't work that way with us, my friends. God guides our steps day by day. He was preparing me and using me throughout the entire journey of life through all the twists and turns, through all the changes. What God wants me to do is to trust him. That's the positive condition. Now we look at the negative condition. Ask in faith without doubting. No doubts allowed. Someone has said that many people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. That will never work, my friends. We must ask without doubting. James uses some very picturesque language to describe the doubter in verses 6 and 8. The doubter is storm-tossed. James uses the illustration of wind-driven ocean waves. The white caps are whipped into a frenzy and the wind drives the water first in one direction and then in the other direction. The doubter is tossed about like driftwood on the ocean by every circumstance that comes along. The doubter is like someone driving a bumper car in an amusement park, hit from one side and then the other, bounced around. And the doubter is double-minded, verse 8. The word literally means double-souled. It only occurs here and in James 4, verse 8. Some scholars suggest that James invented the word. A double-minded person is one who always wants it both ways. She is a fence-sitter. He is John Bunyan's Mr. Facing Both Ways in Pilgrim's Progress. A double-minded person never can make up his mind about a decision. First, he makes one choice but worries that he has made the wrong choice, so he makes a different choice. Then he thinks of all kinds of reasons why he shouldn't do that either. So he stands there wringing his hands in frustration. He's like a yo-yo, up and down, but never landing. Have you ever been in situations like that? I have. We ask God for direction and then second-guess God. Well, I must have made the wrong choice because this isn't working out. When we find ourselves in situations like that, we despair of ever seeing any light at the end of the tunnel. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard asked, Is not despair double-mindedness? For what is despairing other than to have two wills? Is not despair double-mindedness? Double-willed? You see, the doubter... Third is unstable, verse 8. We become very unstable people. We vacillate from one thing to the next, always unsettled and miserable. Well, this job is wrong. I shouldn't have decided to buy this car or live in this house. My marriage is not working, so I must be out of God's will. And on. And on it goes for unstable people. We pray, but find no peace in our prayers. Why? Why? What can an unstable doubter expect from God when they pray? Nothing. God says nothing. God promises no wisdom to one who lives and asks With that attitude. The first lesson we must learn when caught up in this situation is to trust God. Until we learn to trust God, we will be very unstable people. But when we learn to trust God, then He gives us His wisdom. And wisdom produces stability. How do you know God's will for your life? By asking what is God's will in each specific decision you must make throughout life. How do you decide God's will in any specific choice? Is it some mystical voice from heaven that will make it clear to you? No, it is the way of wisdom. Let me boil down the wisdom way to five little principles that I have followed throughout my life. First, walk with God. You have to start by being obedient to what God says in the Bible. He has already given us his will, and most of the time, when we get into trouble, it is because we don't want to do what we already know we should do. So it starts with obedience. Walking daily with God. Two, rattle all the doorknobs, gather all your data, ask lots of questions, get advice, rattle the doorknobs to see which door God will open and which doors are closed. Then go through the open doors, which often leads to rattling more doorknobs in the next hallway of life. Three, pray For wisdom. We are commanded to pray for wisdom, and God promises to give us wisdom when we need it, not before we need it. 4. Wait on God. Trust Him for the decision and the timing. We must not make the decision until it's time to make the decision. Bad decisions are usually rushed decisions. Five, move on faith. Step out on your choice in faith, believing that God is directing your steps. You have to move out. You have to make a choice, a decision. Don't second guess God after you've followed the process. So walk with God. Rattle all the doorknobs. Pray for wisdom. Wait on God. Move out on faith. Follow these steps and you will be a stable Christian because wisdom produces stability.